We all make promises. You have made promises. I've made promises. People have made promises to me. You've made promises to other people. We've all had, we've all had promises that were made to us broken. We live, in a sense, in a land of broken promises. You need to look no other place than the institution of marriage to discover that we live in a, in a land of broken promises. With upwards of 50% of all marriages ending in divorce, I mean, we live in a land of broken promises. Kids in the inner cities are growing up in homes with no father and oftentimes no mother. And not because they are deceased, but because they have not lived up to the, to, the, to, the, to the pledge, to the promise that is given to each parent. And so in that sense, we do live in a land of broken promises. But other than the promise of marriage, there are many other promises that are made and broken on a daily basis. And because of these broken promises, it leaves everyone in the world with a little bit of a, just kind of a little bit of a timidity, a little bit of a wall up, so to speak. Each man and woman, everybody in here, we're all fallen human beings. And many times we don't live up to the things that we promise. Others don't live up to the things that they have promised us. And it can be devastating at times, depending upon the promise. There is, however, one. One person that has never broken a promise. Amen? He is, and I'm calling him tonight, the promise keeper. Yeah, there was a movement of men across the nation a few years ago called the promise keepers, but I have to break it to you, every one of those guys had broken a promise. They want to keep a promise. They want to pledge a new promise, but there's one in his name tonight. I'm calling him the promise keeper in a category all by himself, and here's why, because he's never broken a promise. He's the, broke, he's the promise keeper. He's the Lord God, and he keeps his promises. Tonight, we're going to look at one of, one of God's greatest promises in the Bible, one of the greatest promises that God made. We're going to take a look at it tonight. And this promise affects you. It affects me. So let's look at the promise, the promise of God that we're going to look at tonight and see why that he and his promise are sure to be relied on, that we can rely on him and his promises. The passage also teaches other things too, so let's keep our ears on to hear the other things that the Lord wants to speak to us tonight. So let's look at the promise keeper. We're gonna look at this promise that he makes, and we got two points if you're taking notes tonight. The first one is this, God's promises are sure. God's promises are sure. So let's look at Genesis chapter 15 tonight. Let's pick it up in verse 1. It says this, after, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless, 
And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir. But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. God's promises are sure. Last week we dove in the, to the beginning of this passage and really it comes on the heels of chapter 14 where where you know remember that was the epic chapter I talked about it, it should literally be a movie chapter 14 of Genesis. I mean it's an epic chapter the five, the four kings that were aligned with King Elam go against the five kings of the plain and then of course Abram's nephew Lot is taken hostage in this battle and so he we've got a, a hostage situation and so Abram it finds out about it through a man who comes to tell him about it and so then he takes his 318 men from his household that are trained with a particular set of skills to go and to, to take back his nephew. And so the setting of chapter 15 comes on the heels of that. And so that's why the, the, the chapter begins with the Lord showing up in a vision. Remember last week we talked about that what happens in while you're sleeping would be constituted as a dream. It, and, and so a vision is something that would happen while you're awake. And so most scholars believe that this is something that happened to Abram and that the Lord appeared to him in this way it, as he was awake. And so the Lord comes to him and he tells him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid and don't fear the aggression or the reaggression of these kings that you have now conquered. Don't fear them. And I am going to be your shield, Abram. And not only that, I'm going to be your exceedingly great reward. You're going to be well rewarded. And we learned a powerful principle last week that not only is God the rewarder of those who seek him, but he is the reward. Amen? He's the rewarder and the reward. And what a powerful truth. But then the conversation moves on. And Abram asked the Lord a question. And I'm paraphrasing here. He says, Lord, I'm going to die and as of right now, I'm childless. What are you going to give me? Look at it, verse 15, or verse 2, chapter 15. He says, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? So Abram asks the Lord a question. He says, I'm going childless. It's as if to say, there's a phrase in the Bible that you'll come to, and it is this, that he went the way of all the earth, right? You'll see this phrase, he went the way of all the earth, and that is what? Death. To go the way of all the earth is to go the way of death. And there's a hint of that language even in Abram's uh, statement here. He, he, is it to say, Lord, I'm not getting any younger, and I'm going childless here, and I don't have an heir in my household. And so what are you going to give me? The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Now, Abraham had pretty much everything. I mean, on one case, on one way of looking at this, you could say, well, 
you know, man, couldn't Abram just be thankful with everything he had? I mean, he was a wealthy man. He, he had th- 318 men within his entourage that went out into battle with him in chapter 14 amongst all the gold and silver and all the rest of it that he had and this tent complex that he would have had. Wow. I mean, he was a wealthy, wealthy person. And you could say, well, you know, wow, what, why couldn't uh, he be thankful? He had, he had victory in his life. He was given victory. Chapter 14 spells out that, that whole victory. I mean, he defeated these kings and chased them all the way to, the, to northern Israel as far as Dan. He had victory. He had wealth. He had victory. He had honor. He even had the king of Sodom coming out to meet him and kind of saying, hey, you know, thanks and, you know, keep my stuff. And Abram says, no, I don't want your stuff. I don't want anybody to to say that they made Abram rich. So here you go. Take it back. (laughs) He he had honor. So he he had everything. He had money. He had wealth. He had victory. He had honor. But there was one thing he didn't have. He didn't have a child from his own body. And that's why he asked the Lord. He said, what are you going to give me? I don't believe he's being petty. I don't believe he's being unthankful. He is coming to God on the basis of God's own promise to him. You see, God had come to him. God had, the Lord had come to Abram. Remember, it was the Lord who called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, that, that God showed up in that, that, that space and, and, and time and called him and said, I want you to leave this country. I want you to leave your people, and I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And when you get there, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. And so Abram is not being petty at all. He's not being unthankful. He's asking a question based upon the promise that God had given to him. And so we can learn that if God has given a promise to us, that we can have a dialogue with him about it. Amen? We can continue to to press upon the Lord in prayer about the promises that he has made to us. There's one thing, actually there's two things that we can appeal to God about that, that are fine, that are okay, and we see these both in Scripture. We can appeal to the Lord based on who he is. We see this in many of the prayers of Scripture, and specifically, I'm reminded of the passage where the apostles prayed after Peter and John were sent, were, were imprisoned after they healed the man, the, the lame man at the gate, beautiful. They spent the night in prison. They were, they were, they were warned and released. And when they got back to the, to the house, they had a pity party for themselves. No, they had a prayer meeting. And in the prayer meeting, they, they, the prayer went like this. Lord, you're the maker of heaven and earth. You own the earth. And so, Lord, consider the threats and give your people great boldness to continue to preach your name. Amen? And so you can appeal to the Lord on the basis of who he is. But you can also appeal to him on the basis of what he has promised. Because he cannot deny his character and he cannot go back on a promise. The writer of of Hebrews tells us this about these things, that God made this promise based on two immutable things, that God cannot lie. He cannot lie. So Abram is 
appealing to the promise of God. He's appealing to the promise that God gave him when he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, told him he was going to be a father of a great nation, and that he was going to inherit the land of Canaan. And, And God told him that his children would be as numerous as the sand. Now, again, there's a hint of him pointing out to God that he is going the way of all the earth. Now, I'm dying here, God, and I have no heir for my household. God, what are you going to give me? Now, there are some points that we have to understand about God keeping his promises and our present circumstance. When you're looking at your situation, when you're looking at your life, and you're looking at the Lord, and you're looking at everything he said in his word, there are a couple things that we need to understand when it comes to our circumstance and God keeping his promises. Number one, we may think that the situation looks impossible. God has spoken, God has said something, God has spoken clearly according to his promise, but we look at our lives, we look at our situation, and it ain't going in that direction. Maybe, it, number one, maybe it's our own fault. We have to, we have to always troubleshoot, uh, right? You have to be a good troubleshooter when you're trying to navigate your life. You know, you buy a piece of equipment, doesn't work. You call the number. I just paid all this good money for your thing, and it doesn't work. And you know the person on the other line, they're trained to say this. This is the first thing they're trained to say. Did you plug it in? (laughs) Did you plug it in? (laughs) Seriously. And so... Did you plug your life into the, to, to the source and to the, to, the, to the commands of God, to the promises of God? That, that's the first place to look when things don't seem to be going right in your life. Did you plug it in? But if you're plugged in and, and, and you're going along with God, then, then we look at our situation and the situation looks impossible. You see, this looked like an impossible situation for Abram because, again, he's getting on in years. He's appealing to the Lord. He's saying, look, I'm going childless here. And... We look at our situation, it looks impossible. To us, it look, may even get to a point of looking futile. Well, at this point, God, I mean, if you had done this in my life 10 years ago, it would have seemed to really make sense. In fact, I could make a whole case as to why if you would have done this then, Lord, it would have really made a whole bunch of sense. And here it is. <laughs> Here's all the sense that that would have made, Lord. And you get, oh, well, at this point, and you give up hope. You give up hope, you get, we can get hopeless if we don't remember the promises of God. So we look at the situation, it looks impossible. We've got to remember that with God, all things are possible. And the most possible thing is is, is the possibility of God keeping his promise because he's going to do it. Amen? And God will stand by his promises. Remember when the angel of the Lord came to Mary there in Nazareth and the angel of the Lord said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I don't know a man? You're saying, I'm going to have a son. I'm going to call him named Jesus. I'm, I'm telling you, how can this be? Because I don't know a man. I've never known a man. 
Now, we don't have to you know, get into the details of that. I think you all understand <laughs> what we're talking about. But the important thing is to look at what the angel said to her. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. And what does Mary say? Verse 37. You'll see it on the screen. Where we got, or the angel concludes. For with God, nothing will be impossible. For with God, nothing will be impossible. We've got two situations here that are situations that are like, what? You're saying what? I'm going to have a son. I'm going to call his name Jesus. I've never known a man. Well, let me tell you about your cousin. Your older cousin who's been barren all these years. Guess what? She's pregnant. She's going to have a baby. In fact, I want you to go take, go take a visit. When you get there, Jesus is going to be in your belly and John the Baptist is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit when you walk in the room. Amen? So nothing will be impossible for God. God holds all the atoms of the world together. You see, the, the atheist has a problem with a miracle. Can't be explained goes against the laws of physics and science and everything. But God created the laws. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that he holds all, in him all things consist. And literally, he's holding all things together. And so with him, nothing will be impossible. So the promises of God are sure. Amen. So if nothing is impossible with him, the promises of God are sure. And the writer of Hebrews, tell, uh, writer of Corinthians tells us, 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, for all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God through us. All the promises, great and precious promises, they're all true, and we can stand on each one of them. They're all sure. They're all sure, and you can trust in the promises of God. So the Lord told him, you are going to have a child. That's your, your heir is, not going to, is going to be from your body, he says, he tells him. And then he tells him, come outside. So I guess they were inside, <laughs> right? It tells him the Lord took him outside, so evidently they were inside. So God says, come on outside. I want to show you something. I want to show you something here. Look up. Look up, Abraham. Abram at this point. Count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Abram feared he would have no child, no heir. God assured him, your descendants will be as the stars in the heaven. Look up. Now, it wasn't like today. You go out and look up. Over here in Brevard, it's a little bit better. You can see a little bit more of the stars. But, man, if you, go, you live in the inner cities, these people haven't seen the stars in years. No wonder there's confusion and all <laughs> in some of these places, you know? You got to get out of the city sometimes so you can look up into heavens and, and realize there's something more than what you know, 
and, 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 and look at the, 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 you know, just take a drive in the middle of the night through New Mexico and just stand in awe of it all. It's an incredible, an incredible thing. So he assured him. He says, your descendants will be as the stars in the heavens. If you could count them, so will your descendants be. Now, a couple chapters back, we're in 15 tonight. If you go back to chapter 13, God, told, God had already told Abram that his descendants would be as numerous as the, the sand, the grains of sand. You want the reference? The reference is Genesis 13, 16. I'll have it on the screen. It says this, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, the sand of the earth, so that if, it, if man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. So here he was telling him about your, your, your descendants will be as the sand. Here in 15, he's saying, look up in the heavens. If you could count the stars, yeah, that, this is the number of your descendants. So we have stars and sand. Stars and sand. There are a lot of stars. And I did research on this a couple years ago when I did a message called What is God Like? I did this special message one night. And the, the night, that night, the message was called What is God Like? And I did this message out of Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verses 25 and 26. And this is what it says. It's, it's God asking the question here. And he says, to whom then will you liken me? In other words, what are you going to compare me to? <laughs> right? What are you going to compare me to? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host? By number, he calls them by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, and not one is missing. So the, the, in, he, in, in Isaiah, the Lord is actually calling attention to the, to the, to the power of, of who he is and the incomparableness of who he is because he has created the stars. And not only has he created them and called them out, the starry host, but he's numbered them and he's, he brings out the host by number and he calls them by name. Whoa. So this is heavy duty. Scientists have attempted, and I, I use the word attempted, right, in big, bold letters, but scientists have attempted to calculate the number of stars in the universe. And the number that they have come up with is a septillion stars, that there are septillion stars. The word septillion, I can't even see that screen because the light's shining in my face. I can't see that screen. So hopefully it's up there. Yes. Amen? <laughs> septillion. You're like, what in the world's the septillion? Million, billion, trillion, quadrillion. What's that? Quintillion? Okay. Septillion. Septil a septillion is this. It's a trillion, trillion. It's a trillion, trillion. So think of a trillion if you can, and most of us can't conceive of that. You think of a trillion, a trillion is, if, a tri if, if you were counting seconds, there is a trillion seconds in 32 years. 32 years. That's a lot. 
Now God said, your children will be as numerous as the stars and as the sand of the earth. There's a, there's a, a, a trillion trillion stars. And it seems to be there's probably close to that grains of sand. Sand is interesting. There's an interesting connection between the seed of Abraham being compared to the, new, the, the, the numbers of the grains of sand and the thoughts of God toward you. You say, what? Yeah, there's a connection between the grain of sand that, is, that the, the seed of Abraham is compared to in terms of numbers and the thoughts of God towards you. The thoughts, of, the thoughts of God towards you are like the grains of sand. This is what the psalmist says, Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts. You'll see it on the screen. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, if I would count them, they, would, they are more than the sand. If I awake, I'm still with you. In other words... I'm with you, Lord, and I know you're thinking about me, and then when I go to sleep, I think, well, maybe he stopped thinking about me, but then when I wake, I'm right back with you. So, so the psalmist is saying, the thoughts of God, if I were to think about the thoughts of God towards me, he says they're like the sand. They're more than the sand. John Corson said this in his Old Testament commentary, According to the psalmist, the only other thing as innumerable as the grains of sand are the thoughts of God towards us. This fascinates me because computer chips are made of silicon, which is like a sand. It's like a, it's like a, it's actually, I looked this up to make sure that John was on the right course and I just did a whole study of silicon um, and Silicon Valley. And this is very contemporary because you need to know about silicon because you got silicon in your hands, in your lap right now. Computer chips are made of silicon, of sand, and perform one trillion calculations per second. Clearly, back in antiquity, God measured his thoughts with the substance that would, be, would come to epitomize our own computer age. So I did a little research myself, and I was reading up on the, the new iPhone. How many are excited? <laughs> no? There's a couple. Okay. <laughs> I was, I was reading up on the new iPhone, the new iPhone chip, the A11 iPhone chip, the bionic chip. And this is what the article said. It said that it can perform 600 billion operations a second. Well, we'll see about that, right? 600 billion operations a second. So think of the new iPhone chip, 600 billion operations. Now, to make 600 billion, to make that a trillion, you'd have to really double that, right? So to think of two seconds, that'd be 1.2 trillion. So just you know, go with me on the analogy, all right? So 1.2 trillion operations. The amount of operations it can perform in two seconds and then multiply that times a trillion. Now you've just hit the number of God's thoughts towards you. Wow. And just if you ever got bored, with the person of God, you can stop and just stand in awe and amazement because he's way bigger. If, 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 you, if you think for a minute you're going to get God figured out, you're not going to do it because God 
is infinite. He's an infinite God. And his thoughts towards you are absolutely incredible in terms of the sheer vast number of them. And this is exactly what the psalmist is telling us. So God's promises are sure. And so for that reason, we can trust him. We can believe him. And I want to encourage you to trust in him and to believe him. Now look what verse 6 tells us. So, so, so here's Abram. Abram is being given this, you know, astronomy, you know, presentation by the Lord. How many would have liked that, right? An astronomy presentation. Maybe perhaps he pointed out a couple that he named, right? He said, Abram, come on, look, look up here. I, 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 I brought these all out. I named them, right? And Abram believed him. Abram said, okay. And look at verse 6. Verse 6 tells us, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Verse 6, Genesis 15, 6. It's an important verse of Scripture. This verse is at the very heart of the gospel because it is the verse that tells us that God counts us righteous through our faith in him. When we believe in him and we trust his word, God counts that as righteousness. This is the verse that the Apostle Paul builds the case for the gospel of justification by faith. When you look at Paul's arguments in Romans 4, Galatians 3, you know, the, the entire book of Galatians, everything that Paul says there, justification by faith, believing upon God, trusting upon God, and that is, that is accounted that is credited to us as righteousness because we are trusting in him. We're taking him at his word. God said to Abram, I'm going to bless you. And simply because he believed God would do what he promised, God looked at Abram as being righteous. And what God has said to you, if you'll come to me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, I'm going to call you out of deadness into life. I'm going to give you life to the full. I'm going to give you joy in your life. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a future. I'm going to give you something to hope in. I'm going to give you something to be a part of. I'm going to be giving you an eternity to be with me. I'm going to, I'm going to do all this. And if, you, if you'll just believe what I'm saying, God says, I account that to you as righteousness. Amen. The Hebrew word translated righteous is literally rightly clothed. When Adam and Eve sinned, they realized that they were naked, right? Remember this from chapter, chapter 3. And, and, and man, in that sense, has been naked ever since, trying to clothe ourselves. Well, now we're going the other direction, right? <laughs> going the other direction in this culture, but we're still naked. Apart from Christ, we're still naked. And it's, it's the sacrifice of God that God made for Adam and Eve, remember when he was the one that, that made that sacrifice, skinned the animals, gave them the skins, it was God that covered. And we went through that whole, the, the, the first prick, the proto picture of, of the atonement, of the covering. Mm -hmm. And then that, that looking forward to the actual covering that Christ would, would do for us on the cross. That through the blood of Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ, that we can be covered, that we can be clothed in him. And it be counted to us as righteous. We're righteous, we're rightly clothed. And this goes to us showing up in heaven. Amen? 
Remember when Jesus told the parable about, you know, heaven? And I don't know how this happened in the parable, but somebody got in there without the right clothes on. You know there's a dress code in heaven. Yeah, you have to have the right robe. And if you don't have the right robe, somebody's going to come up to you. I don't know, I, I don't know maybe it was the, the analogy that he was giving, but I don't think he, they would make it past the gates, past the, the, the gates of heaven. But there was somebody there, and, and he said, you, you don't have the right robe. So you have to have this robe of righteousness that you can only get through trusting Christ to enter into heaven. And that's what, where we're accounted when we believe upon the Lord, when we take him at his word and we trust him. Amen. Let's move forward because we gotta, got to get through the rest of this chapter tonight. Proof. Uh, so God's promises are sure. And then the next thing we're going to look at is proof God's promises are sure. Let's pick it up, verse 7. It says this, then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. And he did not cut the birds in two. And then the vultures came down on the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your, your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them. And they will afflict them 400 years, and also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down, and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. So in this section, we see the proof that God's promises are sure. The Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur to inherit this land. Okay, you're going to have a, a son. You're going to have an heir that's going to come from your body. Yes, okay, I believe you. But also, Lord, you've said I'm going to inherit this land. And so Abram asks him another question. He, he, he kind of says, well, how, how do I know? How do I know that I'm going to inherit this? I mean, can you give me, is there any proof? Can you give me some proof that I'm going to inherit the land? How, how should, it's almost like, how should I know? How should I know that I'm going to inherit it? I'd really like to know. I'd like to be sure. Do you have any proof, God? I need proof. And God says, okay. I want you to draw up a contract, a covenant. You see, in ancient times, they didn't have somebody draw up something in pen and paper to draw up a contract, a covenant. They drew it up by cutting 
an animal in half and standing between the animal and actually declaring and pledging to each other and clasping arms and thereby making a covenant. It was actually called cutting a covenant. And this is how you made a covenant. Imagine going down and going, I'm going to buy a car. Okay, no, 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 no. Okay, so anyways, this is, what, this is what you did back then. It was called cutting a covenant. So God says, I want you to draw up a contract. I want you to draw up a covenant. I, I want you, to, I want you to, uh, to pull out a heifer, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And so they are going to cut this covenant. And, and Abram cuts the animals, except for the, the birds, the two birds there. You had the turtle dove and the pigeon. And if you ever want to know why in the, in, the, in, the, in the Levitical sacrificial system, you have the heifers and the goats and the rams and all that. And they would bring a ram and lamb for a family at Passover and all this. But then there's like, you know, these turtle doves and these little pigeons and stuff. And it's like, why? Why are they bringing the turtle doves as a sacrifice? Because that was for... Because some people couldn't afford a ram. Some people couldn't afford a heifer, but they could afford a pigeon. You just go out there and grab one. <laughs> we actually had a pigeon problem just recently. It was an infestation. My neighbor, was, they have these little bird seed things out behind their house, and they were feeding so many birds that we had this, you know, when, when the pigeons find out where there's food, they, they, tell, every, they tell all their friends. And then, and then they all show up, and they all showed up on our roof. And one morning, Mary Jo and I were laying there, and we, we woke to a sudden sound of just a flock of pigeons just going nuts. We were like, what on earth is going on? Are we out of here or what? <laughs> the angels come to take us home? No, it was a group of pigeons. So they cut a covenant, and there's an interesting verse of Scripture there. It says that he cut the covenant, and... He, when the vultures came down, it says Abram went, went over and, and just, you know, kind of got rid of the vultures. When you look at Scripture, there are a lot of birds, and there, there's a class of birds in the Scripture that actually are, are, are a picture of the enemy. In fact, uh, if you look at the parables, most of the birds in the parables are all pictures of the enemy, and one in particular in the parable of the sower, when Jesus tells the parable of the sower, the sower goes out to sow, right? And he sows along all these, all these types of ground. And in the one example, the, 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 the seed that went on the wayside, it, it said that the birds came and, and stole away the seed. And whenever you see the birds, and specifically vultures, I mean, you don't have to, I mean, I don't know if anybody feels any sympathy. And even our animal lovers in the crowd, you know, the vultures, you know, okay, kill them. No. <clears throat> the vultures are coming. And, and the birds, the enemy will come in to try to steal away the word. This is what Jesus is trying to get the point across in the, in the parable of the sower. And, and, and so to, to take away the word that is being sown. And, and, and because the word of God is what we are to believe. The promises of God are the word of God. The, the promises of God are the things that he's done, that he's told us about in his word. And so if the, if the, if the sower goes out to sow and the enemy comes along and, and, and tries to, to take that seed away, sometimes you've got to go out in your life when you've heard a good word, when you've heard the word of the Lord, sometimes you've got to go out in the, in, in, in the yard and, 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 and shoo the vultures away yes. in your life. Sometimes you've got to be a man like Abraham and stand up in your own life and say, you know what, get out of here, vultures. 
I'm not listening to that mess. I'm not listening to the lies. I'm standing on the promises and the word of God. Yes. I'm not going to let the vultures come in and, 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 and mess up this situation that the Lord has commanded and getting ready to do an incredible thing. I'm going to shoo the, shoo the vultures out of my life. Sometimes we've got to do that in our own lives. Amen? Amen. We've got to be people of God that recognize when the, when the enemy is trying to come in and, 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 and steal the word away. And cast that doubt. Did God really say? Did God really say? That's what the serpent, that's what the Nakash whispered in Eve's ear. So we got a, James gives us a, a prescription. In James 4, 7, he says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he must flee from you. Amen? Yes. Abram went to sleep. He was probably in and out of sleep this whole night. And then the Lord came to him and told him that his descendants would inherit the land. In the midst of this, the Lord came to him and said, your, inherit, your, 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 your people, your seed, your descendants will inherit the land, but first they will go down to a strange land. They will become strangers in a land for four generations. It turns out that that is 400 years. But they would come out with great possessions, and they would come out and displace the Amorites when the, when the sins of the Amorites were complete. And so God brings this word to him. And then, then in the dark of night, the sun had gone down, and so in the dark of night, Abram looks up. And he sees, in this text in the New King James, we read it, a smoking oven. He saw a smoking oven. Other translations say smoking furnace. You say, what on earth is a smoking oven or a smoking furnace? It's probably something, something similar akin to the repre representation of God in the wilderness that we'll see when God calls the people Moses to lead, to lead Moses to lead the people out of Egypt and into the desert, and God appears by a pillar, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire. And so by night, God led the people by a pillar of fire. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that our God is a consuming fire. And so here we have a smoking furnace, a smoking furnace and a torch. And, and Abram sees this, and he sees this going through the pieces of this covenant. And so what we see here is that Abraham never finds himself in the midst of the, the pieces, making the covenant with God. You say, what? You say, no, the Lord actually cut this covenant and he made it with, him, with his own self. <laughs> you see, Abram had spent the night getting the thing set up, shooing the birds away, the vultures, all this, trying to keep it all straight, and then he's going in and out of a heavy seat, sleep in and out of horror. He's come to the end of all he can do. Abram, just watch. Just watch, Abram, because I've got this handled. And the Lord steps into the middle of the covenant, and he makes a covenant with himself. He makes, God makes the covenant with himself. The writer of Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews 
You'll see it on the screen. For when God made a promise to Abram, Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. What? He swore by himself. Now, the passage is in, interesting. If you want to read the rest of Hebrews 6, we don't have time here. But God made a covenant with himself. In other words, he's going to see it through. In other words, this thing's rock solid. It's not even remotely dependent upon Abraham and what Abraham does. Amen? It's not remotely dependent upon the frailty of, hum of humanity. That God is going to do this thing because he's made, he's made a promise and he has sworn by his own self. Abraham only needed to obey. And it's the same for us. We, we only need to trust. We only need to trust and obey God. We only need to trust him. We only need to believe what he said. We only need to stand on his promises. No matter what's going on in your life, whatever situation you're in, standing on the promises of God. And that's why we need to be going through the word on a daily basis because there's so many things in there that we can, you know, he's a strong tower for us. He's a refuge in times of, of, of trouble. He, he's all these things. He's I am. He's everything that we need. He's our great reward. He's going to be there. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's a counselor. He's everything that you need. So keep trusting. I want to challenge you tonight. I want to challenge each and every one of us tonight. Keep trusting that God is going to do what he promised in your life. Don't give up. Don't say it's futile. Don't say it's impossible now. Believe his word. Now, just like the sacrifice was torn, the covenant was cut, right? He says, cut a, he says draw up the contract, cut the, the heifer, the, the goat, the ram. And just like those animals were, were cut, were torn in two, Christ would come. Christ would later come from Abraham's seed, and he would be torn. His, his flesh would be torn. His bones were not broken, but his flesh was torn. His, 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 he said this, my body broken for you. Broken for you. And so Christ would come into the world and his flesh be torn. His flesh was torn for us. His body, his torn body, dead and buried and resurrected, is the greatest proof that God's promises are sure. God cut a covenant with Abram. God cut a covenant with himself, with Abram watching, right? In where a heifer and a goat and a ram were cut in two. It was a prelude to the son of God coming and him being torn. And because his body was torn for us, he died and was buried and resurrected. That resurrection of, of Christ is the greatest proof that there is that God's promises are true. In fact, the resurrection is something that we need to hold forth to the people in our lives. We need to hold forth the resurrection because there is great, there is great actual evidence of the resurrection that needs to be looked into. And when you can look at the evidence for the resurrection and realize the truth of the resurrection, in fact, the whole gospel and everything that we're doing and the fact that you're here tonight is dependent upon the fact that Jesus Christ came out of the grave. Right. Amen? Yes. Amen? Yes. And if it, Paul put it this way, if Jesus is not risen, then we're just to be pitied among all people. 
because we're kidding ourselves and we're still in our sins. But he is risen from the dead. But he is risen from the dead. And it's the greatest proof. I was just reading this. Have you seen uh, the death of Nabil Qureshi? Have you seen this uh, Muslim young man that was led to the Lord by one of his college uh, dorm mates, dorm room, whatever you call it, roommates, yeah. David Wood. David Wood is, was his roommate and led him, led him to the Lord. And the guy was just really super smart and actually left college and eventually made it on the team with Ravi Zacharias, International Ministries. And if you've been following the story, just recently he had contracted cancer and uh, prayed and prayed and prayed, and everybody around the world literally was praying for Nabil. But he, he just passed away here. Uh, within the last couple of weeks. And one of the, one of the guys was sharing his uh, talk with uh, uh, Nabil. And he, and he said, you know, he got done showing him all this stuff about the, the, the proofs of, you know, for the existence of God and the God of the Bible and, and, and the gospel and the gospel message and, and specifically the resurrection. And he said, you know, you, you know it's, it's a lot of interesting stuff. And you seem to have something here with the, with the resurrection. And he said, well, well, Nabil, that's the whole thing. If the resurrection's true, then you, need, you just need to become a Christian. Amen? Because if the, resurrection, if the resurrection is true, there's no reason. What reason would you be for not, to have not becoming a Christian? If you, if you determine that the resurrection is, is real and true and you look into it and discover that it is real and true... It changes everything. And, and for that reason, we can trust in the Lord and we can trust in his promises. Amen? Amen? We just have to believe upon him. He's our salvation, and he's the one that guarantees it. He's, the salva- he's our salvation, and he guarantees it. Amen? And so, wow. It ends, the chapter ends with God telling him the land Maybe I'll leave, we'll leave on this note because this is kind of, kind of a good note to end on because it looks into the future. Look at the description of the land. From the, from the river of Egypt to the great river. This was the land area that God promised to Abraham. Now when they came into the land, scholars believe and looking at everything that they actually possessed in in Bible times, they only ever possessed a tenth of what God had said there in that closing verse, verse 21, which leads me to believe that there's more in store for the story. Amen. (laughs) Because God, we we just went through this whole chapter about the promises of God being sure and the proof of the promises of God, the resurrection of Christ literally sealing the deal for us. And so we can only look forward with anticipation of, what, of all that God is going to do.